Fiona, do you just want to join us for a moment? Sorry, I didn't say that I was going to do this, but um, it's kind of the thing I do, actually. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your ministry? I know we're going to hear from James in a moment, but... Uh. Um, we've just got two small churches right in the heart of the Cotswolds. Um, we major, I think, on children's ministry and uh, pastoral care for that small community of which we small communities of which we are a part. Um, what else can I say? Uh, we, we're a, a whole body ministry, and um, not just I myself involved in leading and preaching, but some of the elders of our church as well. And we sort of do it together, um, and do it to the best of our ability to uh, make Jesus known. And... Um, look after the members of the community if there's anything you would like us to pray for you what would that be sorry I should have said uh, no no that's okay um, I think I would like you to pray um, at the moment we're amalgamating the two chapels and I think I would like you to pray for us to become one stand with Fiona, we'll pray, let's pray for them. Father God, we thank you for our partnership in the gospel. We thank you for Fiona and for James, and we just welcome them in the name of Jesus, and we want to pray for your blessing over their lives and their ministries. We thank you, Lord, that they have a heart to serve you, and we pray that you'd fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. We want to pray for Fiona in her ministry, and particularly as these uh, two churches become one for you and for your kingdom and for kingdom purposes, we pray, Lord, that you would just enable that to become a seamless transition, that hearts will be joined together. Lord, take anything that would be of a human hindrance out of this, and may it be a God thing, a Holy Spirit thing that your work may increase, that your influence may increase, and give to Fiona the vision that she needs and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for them as a couple. We pray blessing on their marriage. We pray blessing as they work together in different spheres, supporting and encouraging one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, am I on? I've got volume. Excellent. One thing I've learned increasingly over the last few years is that God has perfect 2020 foresight. A couple of years ago, I had to change my car, and for reasons I didn't know, he told me to get one with a very large boot. <laughs> and I'm so glad he did, because uh, amongst my other activities for the North Coltsville Food Bank, I find myself transporting generous gifts that Christians and churches have offered to this work. And it's, it's moving for me, really it is moving for me to sit here and watch the act of giving. Thank you. This will come back to Norton. It will join all the other gifts from churches and schools across the North Cotswolds, which currently total just under two and a half tons of food. That's amazing. It's stacked 
in our church, the pews have become our racking system because our store just couldn't cope. But God's got 2020 foresight. Two weeks ago, out of the blue, we heard that from January we will be having a new store in a perfect location, rent-free, provided by a local trust. He knew we would need it. And all the food will go into there, there it will be sorted. But two and a half tons is far more than we've been needing lately. But God has perfect 2020 foresight. And he knew long before any of the other pundits and commentators that next April, when the changes to the welfare system take effect, there will be a lot of people in need. And he's given us the resources to respond to that. And 12 years ago, because he had 2020 foresight, he moved a group of Christians in Salisbury to a radical idea of food banks. And then later on challenged them to help that spread across the land because he knew the times would come when they would be needed. And I'd like to show you a two-minute video just to set the scene on a little bit of the nature of food bank work in general. I'd like to. struggles with this, uh, this video. It was, it, it was running earlier. We're going to give another shot, I think. If it's not going to work, we'll skip it and I'll move on. No? It's crashed again? Okay, we'll skip the video then. Uh, in, in which case, let me just say a little bit about the North Cotswold Food Bank. Um, uh, you, we, you may know we began operation just about a year ago. The... This goes up and down, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, I won't lean on it too hard, I'll sink. The, the uh, forecast I had at that point was that over the course of a year, we might uh, have 100 clients, like 300 people, through in the course of a year. Uh, we nearly reached that in July and August alone. And the underlying trends of demands that we see are steadily upwards. We're back on? Excellent, I'll shut up. People tell me that we saved their lives, and I think, oh, we just gave you some food. And they say, no, you saved my life. I was thinking of killing myself, because you don't understand the despair, the shame. We can't pay the rent, you can't feed your kids, and then you guys gave me some food. We provide nutritionally balanced food sufficient for three days minimum, and it's all the things that you would need so that you can provide breakfast, lunch, and dinner for yourself and the other people that are dependent on you. The people come in, they meet with food bank volunteers who talk to them a bit about their needs, provide them with a hot meal there and then, just sympathize with them in, in the difficulty they're going through. Every item of food has been donated by people in the local community. We engage with schools, with businesses, with churches. The whole message is, would you help your hungry neighbour? We get lots of feedback from clients. They tell us, it's the first place I've been where people didn't judge me. 
hundreds of social workers, church pastors, probation officers have sent their clients with vouchers to the food bank. And it's for two adults and four children, isn't it? Our vision's really straightforward. We want to see a food bank in every community in this country. By 2015-16, we'll be mobilizing more than five million people to do food banks. So that's five million people getting involved in the local communities. And the lead is being taken by churches up and down the nation. <laughs> A couple of years ago, if you'd heard of them at all, you probably would have associated them with the States or Canada, countries with no welfare system, and effectively a soup kitchen type provision. But here we are in the 25th century in one of the most affluent countries in the world. But one with a combination of flatlining or declining income for many and rising prices leaving significant numbers who could make ends meet a few years ago, seriously struggling to do so. And so food banks have multiplied. And as I was saying, uh, my forecast was something like 100 clients, 300 people over the course of a year. We nearly met that in July, August. And the total number that we've fed since last December, just a snitch under 800. That is business people whose business has gone belly up, leaving them with nothing. That is pensioners unable to make ends meet on their pension when the bills come in. It's mothers who've been abandoned by their partner, leaving them with the children and the domestic debts. It's workers whose job has come to an end. It's those who have lost employment income due to ill health or accident. It is um, elderly looking after orphaned children in their family. It is all sorts of people for whom crisis comes. And when crisis comes, they need to turn somewhere other than the doorstep lender or the alternative ways they might think of to somehow feed themselves. So food banks are multiplied across the land. And as the video said at the end, the lead is being taken by churches. And I'd like to read for you uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm conscious I do not have a Bible in front of me. So I'm, be, is it, uh, I'm going to turn around and do it that way. Is that how it works? Excellent. Uh, thank you. I'll do it from here. Same version? Excellent. Okay, we're up. So the parable of the lost son, parable, uh, prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. He came, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Sometimes, a well-known Bible story can become so familiar. Just as one of those stories which you've always known, one of those that Jesus told all those years ago, so familiar that we can fail to spot its penetrating relevance for today. So it was for me with the story of the prodigal son. So familiar. Since childhood. And yet encapsulating within it the context and the rationale and a lot of the dynamics of food bank. And within its lines, it lays bare to us the critical roles of four parties. And if Jesus wanted to address the church of today to engage in food bank, this is a parable he would use to do so. I'm just going to need to flick through a few slides because a little technical glitch there of my own fault to get to the right place. Thank you. I'd like you to look with me at the first of the four key parties in this story. The prodigal son himself. And we are not going to dwell upon his poor life choices, his dodgy morals, or his terrible financial planning. We're going to skip straight to the key 
period in this parable. We'll pick it up with verses 14 to 17. This is familiar to you. Just run your eye over it. We've heard it. You know it. Just look over it again. Run your eye down that passage. Refresh those key verses in your mind. And then allow me to pick out for you a few key passages that define this young man's predicament. He had no money, no savings, no reserves. If credit cards had been invented, his would have been maxed out. His utility bills would have been in arrears and his bank balance overdrawn. He had nothing. And then trouble came. Famine. And we can imagine that with famine would have been steeply rising food prices, general inflation, increasing unemployment, financial stagnation, which we would wrap together today in a single word, recession. It was a time of recession. And he began to realize his situation. And like many, he didn't sit back. He found work. But either the wages were too low or the hours were too short. So that when he paid the essentials, what he was left with was not enough to put decent food on the table. It was not a living wage. And did his community help? Or the state? Or his friends? No. He was in real trouble. Real trouble. And if you look at that skeleton of the prodigal son situation, it describes so accurately the situation of the bulk of those that come for help from food bank. In a culture which encouraged spending, they find they have no reserves when crisis hits. If they can find work, it's short hours, it's minimal wage, it's not a living wage. And there are few places that they can turn to for help. But the prodigal son did have somewhere to turn to. So here's verse 17. He came to his senses and said this. How many of the servants in my father's house have food to spare? And there you are. Servants in the father's house. Right there. With food to spare. Oh, it doesn't say all of them. But many. Many. And today, across the UK, as the video said, the lead in food banks is being taken almost universally by churches and by Christians. And the world, friends, is noticing 
A few years ago, when there were just a handful of food banks, you could dismiss the fact that they had a Christian basis. But not now. There are 170 open across the country today. 80 in preparation. Inquiries arriving every week from churches moved by God to help their needy neighbor. And the world is noticing that in this time of austerity, it's the church so derided, so marginalized, so assaulted by secularism, it's the church that reaches out in spontaneous selfless compassion for those in need. And suddenly, the gospel of Jesus Christ has cutting edge relevance in this materialistic and consumerist society that itself has run out of ideas. But our God does not run out of ideas. He has solutions through the servants in his house. And how many? I look at the food piling in to our store and I cannot begin to estimate how many people that is who have made a gesture and action of response to the need of others. So many. So there we are. Servants in the Father's house with food to spare. But what are the other two? The other two parties in this story, what do we learn from the elder brother who had such a spectacular strop? Um, sadly, the older brother typifies an attitude quite prevalent in society around us. Why, he rants, should this waster receive any help? I work hard. I pay my taxes. Well, he would if there were any. I'm a striver. Why should someone else get a freebie that might in some way diminish my inheritance? Why should he be helped? And here, friends, is the cry of many, many for whom the mantras of materialism and self-advancement have squeezed out the instincts of compassion. These views are held strongly amongst our neighbors, maybe our relatives, sometimes even in our congregations. And I've met those who hold these views strongly. And my hope is that one day they will meet the fourth person in this story, the father who says this, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. What is this everything that the father has that's ours? What is this everything? It's perfect grace. 
is holiness. It's unshakable peace. It's deep inner holy joy. It's light and love. It's goodness beyond our deserving. These are the everything that God gives. What else is this everything that I have that is ours? That God has that is ours? It's his very spirit. His own nature. His very person. God says to us, everything I have is yours. And that's just in this life. In the next life, it's eternity and rapture and glory. Everything I have, he says, is yours. And if the Father has given so much to us, how can we deny the hungry if we have food to spare? And finally, the parable relates, of course, how the prodigal son was wonderfully reunited with his father with so much rejoicing. And yes, we are beginning to see via the food bank work, people reconnecting to the church, to the Christian faith, to Christ himself. And we can be sure that while we celebrate a physical harvest, God is working for a spiritual harvest too. With the help of the servants in his house. May it be a rich one. Amen.
wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Just sing it again, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Savior, wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart. 